0: As a church family, we have spent the last six Sundays in a series called I Belong. And in this specific series, we unpacked the reality that God is our Father, we are His children, and that makes us a family. So much so that we made this statement, before a church is anything else, before Hope Church is anything else, we are first and foremost a family. And over those six weeks, we looked at the 40 one another statements in the New Testament. You see, these 41 and other statements bring clarity to us as we try to understand how you and I are to relate to each other as the family of God. We looked at the way Jesus talked that the church is a family. The way Paul and Peter and Mark and John and James all emphasized that first and foremost, church is family here's the biblical conclusion that we've just been wrestling through over the past six weeks. Church is not an event that we attend. Church is a family to which we belong. And I don't know about in your life, but in my life personally, it's been so healthy for me over the past six weeks to just live with these principles because it forces me to move away from what our culture says about church, which is church is a place, church is a location, church is an event. And it forces us to align our perspective with the scripture, which says church is community. Church is a people. Church is a family. And I'm as thankful as ever today that because I have a relationship with God, I also have a relationship with his family. And while Jesus was on the earth, he really modeled these principles for us. Jesus had around 12 guys that he lived life with. They functioned as a family. They served together. They loved one another. They cared for one another. They submitted to one another. They held each other accountable. And in the last few days before Jesus' crucifixion, he gathered with his family, his disciples, and he gave them a very, very special practice that they were to use to celebrate their relationship with him in the context of their relationship with one another. We know that. the Lord's Supper. I'm going to say that again. What we're going to experience today is a practice that Jesus gave us that as his family we might celebrate our relationship with him in the context of our relationship with one another. And at Hope, here's our conviction, that every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper together as a family, it's to be significant. It's to be meaningful. It's not something that we're to do flippantly. It's not something we're just to tag on to the end of a gathering. But we're to stop, reflect, and celebrate our relationship with God. That's why at Hope we do the Lord's Supper, we celebrate the Lord's Supper three or four times a year. And here's why. Because every time we celebrate it, we build the entire service around it. So we can stop and take a breath and really observe this supper the way that Jesus designed it to be observed. So that's what we get to do today. As a family, we get to celebrate the Lord's Supper. So if you have a Bible this morning, would you turn with me to Mark chapter 14, the second book in the New Testament, the gospel of Mark chapter 14, and in just a moment, I'm going to start reading in verse 22, but before we read the scripture today, I want to clarify something that the Bible speaks to very clearly, and it's this. What we're about to do in a few moments in observing the Lord's Supper is symbolic. It's a picture. You see, we don't observe the Lord's Supper today in order to achieve salvation. We don't observe the Lord's Supper today in order to merit us a better standing before God. Jesus gave us this practice as a picture, as a way for us to celebrate The body and the blood of Jesus. And it is an honor to do what we're about to do in a few moments. Several years ago, I was with our church and we were um, leading a conference in North Africa. And we led that conference for several years for about 800 pastors, missionaries, and leaders. And for a lot of them, they had never been in an environment where there were so many Jesus followers gathered in one place. You see, where they live and where they work and where they serve, it's illegal uh, to profess your faith or to share the gospel. So they had never gathered with so many other believers in one context. And the way that we would always end that conference was by observing the Lord's Supper together. And I can remember one year, I actually got to lead that time. And I was standing right in the center of the stage, a lot like I am now, and looking over about 800 or so people. And as I held up the the bread, and as I held up the cup, just seeing men and women weeping over the significance of what we were doing. And after it was over, I'll never forget, a gentleman approached me just with tears in his eyes, and he said this. He said, Pastor, it has been an honor to observe the Lord's Supper with you today. And every time I come to a moment when we observe the Lord's Supper together, I think about that guy. And I'm challenged by it. And I hope for you today that you consider it an honor to do what we're about to do. It's to be taken serious. It's to be meaningful. This is to be a special day in the life of our church. Mark chapter 14. If you don't have a Bible, we're going to put these up on the screen for you so you can read along with us. Here's what the Bible says. When they, meaning Jesus and his disciples, were eating, he took some bread. And after a blessing, he broke it. And gave it to them and said, take it. This is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will never again drink Of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This morning, as we begin, I want us to get a picture of that room. I want us to imagine what it was like as Jesus gathered with his disciples in what we know as the upper room. Now, these men had sat down many times with Jesus to eat a meal, but you just have to imagine there was something different as they sat down in that room. I would imagine there was a sternness, a focus on Jesus' face like had never been there before. You see, he knew what was coming, he knew what was about to happen. And so he sits down with his disciples at this table. And one of the ways they had heard Jesus teach over and over and over again was that he used figurative language to teach a spiritual lesson. Here's what that means. They had heard Jesus say, I'm the vine and you're the branches. Now, did Jesus literally mean that he was a piece of vegetation that they were to hold on to? No. He was teaching a spiritual lesson that he was their source And through the relationship, they were to cling to him. They also heard Jesus say, I'm the gate, I'm the light, I'm the good shepherd. Jesus often used figurative language to teach a spiritual lesson. But what he does at this table here in Mark chapter 14, took everything to an entirely new level. Because sitting at that table, Jesus, he grabbed a loaf of bread. And he took it in his hands and he broke it. And he said, this bread symbolizes my body. It's a picture of my body that's going to be broken and then he took the cup and he held the cup and he said this this juice it represents my blood that's going to be poured out for the sins of the world a powerful picture a powerful symbol of the body Now, for a lot of people, when they think about the Lord's Supper, here's what they want to talk about. They want to talk about the when and the how. They want to have argument after argument about when we should observe the Lord's Supper and how we should observe the Lord's Supper. Well, unfortunately, in terms of biblical content, there's not a whole lot to talk about. In regards to when we should observe the Lord's Supper, here's what the Bible says. As often as you do it. That's all we got. Now, some people do it weekly, some people monthly, some people quarterly, some people yearly. For us, as a family, we do it about three or four times a year. And in terms of the how, here's what the Bible says. First the bread, and then the juice. That's all we got. The Bible doesn't speak a lot in terms of when and how, but as it pertains to why we should observe the Lord's Supper, the Bible has a lot to say about why we are to do what we're going to do here in a few moments. And it clarifies every time we do it, we are to wrap our hearts around its true meaning and its true significance. And so what I want to do this morning is we just prepare our hearts to celebrate the Supper as a family is I want to give you two defining statements about the Lord's Supper that hopefully will allow us to process in the right way that we may observe this Supper in a way that honors King Jesus. So here's the first statement this morning. The Lord's Supper is an opportunity... To reflect on what the gospel is. The Lord's Supper that we're about to observe in a moment is an opportunity to really reflect on what the gospel is. Every time we observe this supper, we're to think about the reality that Jesus came. He was born as a baby. He lived He was crucified, he died, and he was brought back to life by the power of God. Jesus said, every time you do this, do this in remembrance of me. We're to celebrate the Lord's Supper to remember. And the actual word that is used here is the word we recognize as memorial. Now what is a memorial? When you think about a memorial what comes to mind? We have memorials all across our country. Specifically in Washington, D.C. I was there a few years ago and had an opportunity to walk around the World War II memorial. And I'll be honest with you, it was really moving for me to walk around this space that's been created to remember those who sacrificed to remember the event, to to read quotes, to see dates, to see names. It was powerful for me to think back and remember about what happened then. And just like that took place in my heart when I walked around the World War II Memorial, that same concept is to be applied for us as believers as we do what we do here today. The idea is for us to call back to mind something that happened in the past. That's one of the things we're to do today. Well, what are we to remember? Well, first of all, we are to remember that Jesus' body was broken. Jesus said, this bread, it symbolizes my body. It's a picture of the way my body was broken. And today, one of the realities that we must remember is that God took on flesh and dwelt among us. That God became a man. He was eternal. He was perfect. He was holy. He was set apart. And He took on human flesh and He came to the earth. And He was beaten. He was broken. He was crucified. Here's the way in the gospel of John chapter 19 that we see it recorded. I want to read this over you as we think about the reality that his body was broken. John chapter 19. says they took Jesus, therefore, and he went out bearing His own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew, Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two other men, one on either side, and Jesus in between. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on his cross. It was written, Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. Therefore many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his outer garments and made four parts, a part to every soldier and also the tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, to decide whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture. They divided up my outer garments among them. And from my clothing they cast lots. Therefore the soldiers did these things. And then finally, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished to fulfill the scripture, said, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and they brought it up to his mouth. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head, and he gave up his spirit. His body was beaten. He was abused emotionally. He was humiliated before people. Not because he deserved it. Not because of his mistakes. Not because of his life or his sin. But because he took on our mistakes. And our sin. And our sorrow. We must remember today as we celebrate this supper. That Jesus' body was broken. But also we must remember that Jesus' blood Was spilled. He says in Mark, This is my blood covenant. You see, the Old Testament law said this without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. No blood, no forgiveness. So, what humanity had tried to do because they could never measure up to the law is through animal sacrifices, they tried to find atonement for sin. But there was no animal that was pure enough. There was no animal that was good enough to atone for all of humanity's sin. And so Jesus steps here and said, I'm about to establish something new. You all know the old covenant that was law. I'm about to give you a new covenant through my blood. William Barclay said this. What did he mean when he said that the cup stood for a new covenant? The word means something like an arrangement, a bargain, a relationship. The covenant was entirely dependent on Israel keeping the law. If the law was broken, the covenant was broken, and the relationship between God and the nation shattered. It was a relationship entirely dependent on law. But Jesus says, I am introducing and ratifying a new covenant, a new kind of relationship between God and man. And it is not dependent on law. It is dependent on the blood that I will shed. That is to say, it is dependent solely on love. One of the things that we're to call back to mind today as we celebrate this supper is that when Jesus came to the earth, he came to establish something new. To give his people access to God through the forgiving and cleansing power of his blood. Amen. We're to remember those things today. We're to call them back to mind. That his body was broken and that his blood was shed. This is an opportunity to reflect on what the gospel is. The good news of the grace of God that is available to us as people. But a second really defining statement for the Lord's Supper is this. The Lord's Supper is an opportunity to reflect on what the gospel does. You see, today is not only an opportunity to think about and meditate on what the gospel is, it's also an opportunity to reflect on what the gospel does. And there's a couple of pieces. We could talk about a lot of things. But there are two that I just want to share with you. Because I want them fresh in our heart and in our mind as we celebrate this supper in a moment. First of all, because of the gospel, I've been reconciled to God. Because of the gospel, because of the good news of Jesus, I have been reconciled to God. I don't know about you. But I'm most grateful for the gospel when I really take a moment and slow down and consider how far away from God I was when he saved me. You see, sin doesn't just make you a bad person. Sin doesn't just make you a needy person or a dirty person. Sin brings spiritual death. And the Bible teaches we are all born into the world under the control, under the penalty of sin. We're in great need when we are born into the world. I want to read you a statement by Josh McDowell that speaks to God's design when he created the world. Listen to this statement. God loved Adam and Eve, and he delighted in them. Man and woman loved God and each other. They felt the joy of freely giving of themselves to one another. They experienced the security of being accepted without conditions. They felt valued by the all-sufficient God. Who wanted to spend time with them. This is powerful. The perfect circle of loving relationship. Was God's ultimate intention. For all humanity from creation forward. He intended Adam and Eve. And all their descendants. To be ecstatically happy. In a loving relationship with him. And each other forever. And in Eden. It all worked perfectly. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that, I'm thinking, that's unbelievable. (laughs) Like, that's so powerful to realize that was God's design. When he created humanity, when he created the world, that is what his heart was for us. That's what it was supposed to look like. Well, that begs a really important question. Why doesn't it look like that anymore? Well, the answer is simple. We chose sin over God's design. And when we chose sin over God's design, two things happened. Our access to God was cut off. And we were, uh, the relationship with Him was destroyed. We were pulled away. We were separated from God because of sin. And secondly, we became spiritually dead. That's the scenario that we became living in as soon as that happened. And since that point, every human being has been born onto the earth with a sinful nature, staring at a mountain of sin that separated them from God that no one could climb, and stained with the unrighteousness of sin that no one could wash away. In Ephesians chapter 2, here's what the Bible says. And you were dead, spiritually dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. Among them, we too formerly lived in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Here's the gospel. Here's what the gospel does. But God, being rich in mercy... Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. I want you to think about John four, uh, Mark chapter 14 again for a moment. Think about the table. Jesus is sitting with his disciples. Now, did those disciples deserve to be sitting at that table with Jesus? Absolutely not. We would all say they were rebellious, they were unclean, they were prideful, they were selfish. They had no business having access or a relationship to the Son of God. Well, here's the reality. Neither do we. We're rebellious, we're prideful, we're selfish, we're consumed with ourself. But here, here's the gospel in Ephesians 2. But God. Being rich in mercy. Here's what I hope happens for you in just a few moments. When you walk up to one of these stations to observe the Lord's Supper, I hope you have a but God moment. And you really process and understand that we don't deserve to be celebrating a relationship with God. We don't deserve to stand as sons and daughters of the King. But God, being rich in mercy. You see, I'm unworthy, but God. I'm sinful, I'm broken, I'm rebellious, I'm separated. But God, being rich in mercy, has invited me to the table that I may experience a full, joyful, hopeful relationship with Him that nothing can ever take away. That's what the gospel does. You see, the gospel reconciles us, brings us back. It removes the sin. It gives us life and restores us back into a relationship with God that we lost in the fall of humanity. That's what the gospel does. But there's a second piece about the gospel that I want, I want us to think about, and it's this. Because of the gospel, I've been adopted into God's family. You see, not only have I been reconciled to God, but I've also been adopted into God's family. Listen to this statement by Lance Witt. There's a huge difference between being a son or daughter and being an employee. A company has a transactional relationship with an employee. You produce, you're in. You don't produce, you're out. Your compensation is connected to your contribution. But it's different being a son or daughter. You are family. Your place is not dependent on your performance. As a son, my value is intrinsic, not transactional. You see, today we get to sing and worship Jesus loud. With a lot of gratitude. Because the weight of sin has been removed. We've been given life. And not only that. He's invited us into his kingdom. To be citizens and children of the kingdom of God. That's what the gospel does. And as we have these moments to celebrate the supper, we want to consider and meditate on what the gospel is, the truth of Jesus where he made a way where there was no way, and what the gospel does in redeeming a broken people, reconciling us to God, and adopting us into his family. But the Bible says before we engage in that, that there's a couple of things that need to happen that are very, very important. One of those is we need to make sure our heart is in the right place before we observe this supper. So we want to take a few minutes and do that. As we're thinking about what the gospel is, we're thinking about what the gospel does, we want to look inwardly and examine our heart to make sure our heart attitude is right before we engage in this supper. J.C. Ryle said this, "...the benefit of the Lord's Supper depends entirely on the spirit and frame of mind in which it is received. The bread which we eat and the juice which we drink have no power to do good to our souls, as medicine does good to our bodies." Without the cooperation of our hearts and wills, they will not convey any blessing to us by virtue of the minister's consecration if we do not receive them right.